0: going on this isn't who you expected it to be i'm sure but it is the pitch count podcast so you are in the right spot this is your cool calm collected new host chris pete is completely gone he's out of the equation it's just gonna be me for an hour and a half Ah, i'm just kidding everybody that's the pitch count podcast with your buddies chris and pete i am joined by pete right now even though I kind of played a little, a little joke over on you all, fooled you. Pete, how's it going?
1: It's going well, man. I like the new smooth talking host we have here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I figured, you know, it's kind of my opportunity to be like an NPR host. I, I put myself into the character this morning. <laughs> um, I decided, you know, actually, we both decided, Pete and I, that I've never hosted an episode before. I don't know what it's like to do that. So why not? Let's just... Let's get crazy, you know what I mean? It's a, it's Sunday morning, we're recording. I got my cup of coffee. Pete's over there. He's got a cup of something, and you know, I just think that yeah, he's got his cup of coffee too, right from the drive-through of Duncan, baby. That's what we do on this pod. So we, just, we I, drive I, through Dunkin'. We drive through Dunkin's and we talk about baseball. So without any further ado, you can follow us um, at Pitch Count P on Twitter. You can follow Pete at Pete B baseball. Is that right, Pete?
1: That's right.
0: Yep, and you can um you can just follow me wherever I go. It doesn't even matter. You <laughs> could just come right up on me and just say, I'm gonna follow you for a little while. I would appreciate that. I'll follow you back, even, maybe. If you don't if we'll you don't mind. That. Um <laughs> But yeah, so today we're doing a little something different. Pete and I decided to do kind of an on or like off the cuff um episode where we break down some early player raider kind of situations, some some head-turning situations, uh, like, hmm, what's this guy doing? He's doing pretty well. Do you think that this is going to continue? Or, hmm, that guy's kind of dropped off the face of the earth. Do you think that I I should drop him, or, or should I continue on and hope for the best? And, and we're going to provide you with some answers today. Um, we've each picked out two guys that we think um, are overperforming on the player raider and that are going to be potentially good ideas for trade pieces or um, that we feel like might end up having some negative regression. There's going to be two players that we that are doing really, really well that we think are going to continue to do really, really well. And then there's two players that we believe are just like nowhere to be found in the top 200 inside their own positions even that we feel like eventually might have a chance to bounce back. So um, all that being said, h- how are you doing, Pete?
1: I'm doing okay. I did have to laugh at they're not even in the top 200 in their own positions. <laughs> <laughs> I must have read the directions wrong because I did not take like <laughs> like a shortstop at single A. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I know. I, I was I was getting a little crazy there. But you know, what? that's just bringing a new mood, bringing a new energy to the pod. You know sure. what I mean? Let's get a little silly. Um You know, I figure if the guys on CBS can talk about raisins for three hours, we could get a little crazy on this podcast too.
1: Yeah, well, I would say that that qualifies as pretty crazy. I do want to apologize to um, the people that listen to us because we recorded an episode a couple of weeks ago, and it was the actual real episode twenty nine. But I work was crazy, so I never got it up that week, and then I was going to post it that weekend. But I got the second vaccine and. I'm surprised I made it out the other side with how bad it was. And then by the time I was I recovered and was ready to post it, the material just would not have held up because we recorded the episode like two weeks ago. So here is your official episode 29 that will be posted tomorrow. So we're recording Sunday, April 25th, this episode. You're gonna be listening to it on Monday, April 26th.
0: That's that's a good day for America and for all of our listeners, especially. So without any, you know, more puttering around because i think i've done quite enough of it already um pete and i are going to get into these breakdowns on players that we kind of have a little bit of a head turn at in the player raider for different reasons so pete why don't we start off with our two how about we start off with our two underperformers kind of get this get this baseline going of guys that are just like out of the picture entirely it feels like guys that you might have spent higher draft picks on um then you're getting the return on in value at least for right now but guys that we do feel like have a chance of coming back and posting some strong numbers for the beginning of, or for the rest of the year, because we are still kind of at the beginning of the season. Um, I don't think that anybody should be trying to sell low right now, um, unless they really, really feel like the the person that they're selling low on is just going to drop off of a cliff. But like, you know, I'm seeing a lot of guys getting dealt in our league already that I'm kind of like, or they're even getting dropped and then they're getting picked up the next day. And it's like, or whenever waivers clear, because they're not somebody that deserves to be dropped yet. They're having a bad time already. And it doesn't mean that it's going to continue, but they should not be dropped uh, immediately. So like we've seen names like Jeff McNeil, Um, who else, who else are big waiver waiver names that we've seen P in our 16 team league. This isn't like a 10 team league, by the way, this is 16 teams, very deep.
1: So I don't know if he qualifies as a big name, but Eduardo Escobar was dropped very soon after the draft and we're a league that counts total bases and he's kind of an extra base hit machine. That's Eduardo Escobar of the Diamondbacks. So to see him dropped in a 16 team head to head league like a week into the season was aggressive and obviously he's he's turned it around I mean th- I think he's still hitting in the two forties, but he's got six homers. So um, you know, just don't give up on guys that you invested in so quickly.
0: Yeah, and that's not to say that Pete and I are, you know what I mean, impervious to these kinds of mistakes. Like I dropped Jesse Winker and I'm I'm regretting it big time, but he was out for like three days and they weren't saying why. It was just some kind of illness thing. And, um, and I think that maybe it was just like, they were concerned that it could have been COVID. So they held him out for a few days. I had thought that for sure, like it was going to be some injury long or some long injury stint because he had been on the IL for like three days. So I dropped him and now I'm regretting it. And I think that that stuff's going to, you're going to see that a lot. You know what I mean? Guys hitting the IL for a day, two days. So just be careful with your ads and drops. Um, you know, I learned my mistake or I learned from my mistake early on. Hopefully I don't make uh, another one this season, but.
1: Yeah, I think Winker is a good example actually and it plays right into who my first underperformer is and again this is an underperformer that up to this point where we're like oh man they're having a bad start but we actually think they're going to turn it around and I say he's a good transition because it's another Reds outfielder and I think part of the very early trepidation on Winker could have been well first of all he's a very streaky player now maybe there's some mysterious injury going on and on top of that we're still waiting for the return of Shogo Akiyama in a in a decently crowded reds outfield, um and so my first choice is nick senzel and i have those same concerns and i was pretty close to actually dropping nick senzel and i did drop him in a lot of leagues that i'm in but the league that we bring up all the time uh our, our 16 team head to head league there i haven't dropped him yet even though i've come really close and that's because i think he's going to turn it around first of all senzel has a ton of pedigree right where I mean, we're talking about a former number two overall pick in the draft he's still just 25 years old so there's no reason to Think that he's he's doomed. But you could look at his stats so far and be like, yeah I don't think he's gonna figure it out this year. He still has no homers, only two RBI, he's only stolen one base, he's batting 230. But there's a lot of positive signs, particularly in regards to plate discipline. He's still only striking out 15.5% of the time. That's his K rate, which would obviously be a career low for him. He's only been in the league three years. That's really promising when it coincides with the 10% walk rate. So that tells me he's, he obviously has great plate discipline, but if he's not striking out, that means he's putting the ball in play a ton, obviously. Uh, and w- w- usually with a guy like this who's putting the ball in play a lot and he's got a sprint speed of ninety in the 94th percentile, well, then he should probably have a high BABIP and he's probably going to have a pretty high average, except that that just hasn't been the case for him so far. He's He's not hitting enough ground balls. A player with his speed, you'd want to see him hit the ball on the ground more. He's hitting a lot of fly balls. He's up 37%. But when that coincides with no home runs, maybe you start thinking like, all right, maybe he should start hitting the ball on the ground more. We're going to see an increase in that average. I look at his BABIP and it's just 279, which isn't terrible. But with a player with his speed, we want that to be a little bit higher. And I I think the kind of final nail in the coffin as to why I think Nick Senzel is going to turn things around. Again, aside from the the high walk rate and everything else is that he actually is also hitting the ball pretty hard. His max exit velocity is only one Oh seven, but he does have an average exit velocity of 90%, which really isn't bad. So when you add all of that up, this is a guy who's not chasing. He's got great discipline at the plate. He's got terrific speed. He's got a lot of pedigree plays in a great home ballpark in a terrific lineup. I'm not ready to give up on Nick Sanzel. I think he can turn this around pretty quickly.
0: I agree with you hundred uh, percent. I love the pedigree. I love, um, The K to BB rate, I just think, is phenomenal. Um, Yeah, he's somebody that I can see easily just kind of spraying, you know, eight hits over, like, a five-game series and, you know, ends up, like, raising that average up to 300 in no time. You know what I mean? It's still early enough in the season that, like, literally one game, is going to just completely change a guy's statistical outlook um, so far. So I like Senzel. I think that it is a crowded outfield. It's going to be even more crowded when Akiyama comes back. But Akiyama has not looked good uh, last season. Or um, I think he played a little bit this spring, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe not. But um, he hasn't exactly looked like somebody that's ready to take everyday at-bats away from people that are ready to play. So. Um,
1: One other quick thing about Senzel, mm-hmm. Chris his expected batting average which isn't really predictive but it, it it's a result of what he's done so far and i think it would highlight the bad luck that he's had his expected batting average is 301 and that's with a 507 slugging so you look at his 231 average like he, and his 288 slugging percentage i think things are going to turn around
0: i would agree with you there um so up next for me, for my first underperformer, is going to be a catcher that was probably drafted top five catchers overall, maybe even more than that, top three in a lot of cases, and that is Yasmani Grundahl of the Chicago White Sox. Um, he has kind of been forgotten about because the story so far for the White Sox this season has been Yerman, the Vermin, Mercedes. It's actually pronounced "Yermin." I know that, but in our league, I like to message the guys every time he hits a home run because he's on my team, and and just let out a nice "Yermin the Vermin," because I, it's just a great nickname. Um. <laughs> uh. So yeah, he's kind of been overshadowed a lot by by uh, Mercedes, um, who's been like the story even of MLB. So it's not like you know what I mean. It's not for any reason of of anything other than this kid's just kind of come out of nowhere, but. Um Grandal has posted some pretty paltry numbers uh so far this season. Uh 130 average, only 2 homers, 6 runs, and you know, 9 RBI. So some counting stats there because he is in a loaded Chicago White Sox team and that's one of the things that I really love about him. Um but you look a lot at his kind of deeper advanced metrics and there's a little bit of reason to kind of be like you know, I don't know if this is going to continue. Um so His K rate or his K percentage so far this year has been the best of his career at 17.5. So he hasn't been striking out and his walk rate even matches it at 17.5. So the guy walks a ton just as much as he's striking out right now. And he's always been kind of known as a strikeout guy. But if he can keep it under a 20% limit for that um, K percent, he's going to be making a lot of contact. And he makes a lot of hard contact, too. Um, His max exit velo this year is 108.6. Average velo, exit velo is 92.6. That's um, the highest mark of his career as well. Um, His X batting average is 232, which would be the highest of his career since 2019, where it was 238. So his underlying average is actually saying a lot more than his actual average right now. And I'm pretty sure that he's suffered, if not the worst BABIP luck, um, then top five worst Babbitt luck so far this season. His Babbitt's at 118, which is well below his career average in terms of that, which isn't like ridiculously high for sure, but like it's not 118 low. So I think that he's kind of been the subject of a lot of bad luck. He's been overshadowed by this sort of out of nowhere phenom um, who, you know, they don't, he doesn't really take at-bats away from Grandal because even though he's a catcher he doesn't catch a lot he's mainly been used as a DH but you know when you play the same position as the guy I'm sure that there's a little bit of a mentality thing like oh you know I hope I'm not getting lost underneath the surface here and I think that you know what I mean the advanced metrics they tell enough of a story for me that this is just some really bad luck rather than anything that we need to worry about I still think that he's going to end up being top five maybe in terms of producing numbers for the rest of the season in terms of catchers so i think the at-bats are going to be plentiful Uh, i don't think there's anything really to worry about with grandal even though you know if somebody was offered grandal for mercedes right now i think a less experienced owner might be inclined to take that deal whereas like if you were offered mercedes for grandal right now i would pass on it i would keep grandal would you
1: uh i would be i would be tempted just because i love the idea of a catcher that doesn't actually have to catch and i think mercedes has proven enough to this point to think like all right he's probably not a 360 hitter who's gonna hit 50 home runs but he's gonna be a pretty solid producer at a really thin position so i would honestly consider accepting it but if you have grandal on your team you've invested so much in him that i could understand not accepting that trade
0: yeah i would probably I would probably base my argument just off of the fact that you invested so highly in Grundahl that I would not trade him for somebody that was probably added off of the waiver wire. But you know, you do make a good point with the fact that Mercedes is going to get play time almost every day, especially if he keeps hitting um, just due to the fact that he's been playing DH. So that is something that is kind of invaluable at the catcher, at the catcher position, just because the total amount of plate appearances aren't going to be as high as your everyday uh, other positions. But, so who is your next in the underperforming category?
1: I'll get I'll get to him in just a second. I, I wanted to mention one thing on Grendal because, sure. you know, you do look at the stack-ass page and he's clearly underperforming his expected stats, which is definitely promising. What sticks out to me is over fifty percent of his batted balls have been ground balls. Yep, and he's he's in the quote bottom zero percent in sprint speed. So i I think is gonna turn around. I think his plate discipline is just too good and when he hits the ball with authority, so he's gonna he's gonna bat for a low average and hit for power and walk a ton, which is why you drafted him and i think I still think he's gonna do that, but it is weird like he's he's been a pretty ground ball heavy guy or i'd say i guess average ground ball i mean in twenty twenty he didn't really hit that many, but I don't really care about twenty twenty but he he hasn't been like a you know usual line drive fly ball guy he has a pretty over the course of his career, I'd say pretty standard batted ball profile, but now to see the increase in ground balls—that that that's the result, or that's the reason for his issues so far. And I'd like to see him start hitting the ball in the air more. But um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. My player that I think is going to turn around is Dominic Smith. Now, I, Dom Smith, you could conceivably make the case. I don't think it's crazy to say that you could make the case that Dominic Smith is the second best hitter on the Mets behind Francisco Lindor. I really don't think that's that crazy. I know people love Pete Alonso, and Pete Alonso is worth loving. And it's kind of a weak argument to say Dom Smith is better than him. But I, I, I think by the end of the year, we could view them as equals, if not Smith better. And he's been really kind of unlucky to this point. First of all, I guess my concern with Smith is that he's a disaster, like just an amazing disaster in the field. He might be the worst outfielder in terms of fielding in baseball, and we know he's not going to eat really a lot of at bats from Alonzo at first base. So playtime could certainly become an issue if Conforto and Nemo can't really cover for him. But Tom Smith is a beast. You know, I I do the Keeper Cut podcast with Chad Young. He wrote a great piece about the adjustments that Dominic Smith made. You and I discussed that on this podcast as well not too long ago. Um, but I just think that that Smiths showed so many tangible adjustments last year and and really begun to break out. And I'm just waiting for that to kind of surface this season. And I'm not ready to give up on him. I think the Mets, with all their cancellations, their delayed start to the season, the slump that their their best player, Francisco Lindor, has experienced, I think it's all just kind of like taken them down a little bit. And I, and I think it certainly affected Dominic Smith. The walk rate is just 3.4%. We know he's probably going to walk at least double that most likely. Um, the expected batting average for him again I, I don't i don't like to bring up expected batting average that much just because it's it doesn't mean this is like what he's going to do it's suggesting based on the results that we have so far this is what based on this algorithm that that factors in exit velocity and so on and so forth this is what he should be batting that number's 315. And so as much as I don't like expected batting average, even though I've now brought it up for two players in a row, to see such a stark contrast between his 232 average and his 315 expected batting average, like that's that's noteworthy. Now, his his average exit velocity is way down. I'm going to chalk that up to early season cold weather here in the Northeast where Dominic Smith has played most of his games and the balls aren't really carrying that much. He does have a max exit velocity of 109 which is close to the 110 he posted last year, showing there's still all that capability in that bat. And he's hitting he's hitting significantly less line drives than he was last year, but he's still hitting a lot of line drives. So you, you factor all that in, he's at 31% line drive rate. And I, I, I think he's going to turn this around no problem. It's just a matter of time until we begin to see that bat heating up.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you there. I like Dom Smith a lot, a lot more than I did preseason after you kind of shared that report with me. And then um, also, just from watching him, I don't I don't think it's a crazy argument at all to say that he's the second best contact hitter, at least um, on the Mets. You know what I mean? I, I know that most people would probably say that Alonzo has more pop, but, you know, it's not considerably more pop. It's not like you know, Smith is going to be a net zero for home runs and he's just a contact guy. He just makes really strong contact. And then also he hits the ball pretty hard, not as hard as Alonzo, but still hard enough to really, you know, knock the ball out of the park and, and get some extra base hits there. So the only thing that I will say about Smith is that I really do think that that defense can inhibit him quite a bit in terms of plate appearances. And that is where I would exercise caution right now, especially if you're going to try to trade for him or something like that if you're going to try to kind of like get him below value or something like that. I really wouldn't trade anybody especially at the first base or outfield positions, the two positions that he plays that has a clear pathway to everyday at-bats and who is producing quality numbers right now or has had a history of producing quality numbers only because the volume is really going to be key in a lot of different league formats. So, you know, Dom Smith might end up being better producer in um In a format like points, where, um, you know, the everyday plate appearances don't really matter as much um, because you're taking a full season's kind of into consideration and, you know, walking is is, uh, counted more in leagues like that. So he might be more of a league format kind of specialist um, right now, anyways, at this point in his career. But
1: he could be. I I will say, in terms of luck to this point, if you look at his weighted on base average compared to his expected weighted on base average, so that's Woba versus X Woba, which you know, takes into account exit velocity, launch angle, batted ball, data, so on and so forth. He currently has the fourth most unlucky differential um, where his expected WOBA is 407, which is a great number. That's, that's one of the top percentages in the league, but his actual WOBA to this point is 271. So that really doesn't do anything about your concern, right? Because at the end of the day, his fielding is his fielding. But I think if he starts to live up to these expected numbers, no matter how bad the fielding is, I don't think the Mets can take him up. I mean, there's a reason Manny Ramirez played all those years in left field for the Red Sox. Not that Dominic Smith is Manny Ramirez, but if they need the bat, I think he's going to play.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, You know, we see it time in and time out in left field that doesn't necessarily matter. They just put good hitters there all the time. All right, so we're going to try to pick up the pace just a little bit because um, we're falling a little bit behind and we can't spend 20 minutes on each of these categories. But um, so my last guy for underperformers is going to be Josh Bell. Um, you know, you brought up a lot about uh, Grandal, the the ground ball kind of, you know, how he's hitting the ball on the ground quite a bit in comparison to years past. And Josh Bell's even doing that to more of an extreme level. Josh Bell... Um, They obviously got off to a slow start, similar to the Mets. And I think that the Nats are also kind of recovering from that. So he hasn't had too many plate appearances yet, but he's hitting the ball on the ground 60% of the time so far. And that's just not exactly who he is. He's been a ground ball hitter um, in the past. And normally the years that he's been more successful, he's hit the ball on the ground less. So we want him to hit the ball in the air more. And, you know, that's the goal. And if he starts to do that, that's a very good, sign that good things are going to come for josh bell the more he hits the ball in the air the better he is um last season with pittsburgh when he had the down year he was hitting the ball 55.7 percent of the time on or in the ground and that's just not going to do it uh the year before that when he had his breakout in 2019 it was 44 percent on the ground which is still pretty high but it's not that bad it's not that um or it's it's serviceable he can he can hit the ball in the air plenty to get enough homers and enough extra base hits so i think that that's pretty much the the biggest key for josh bell um right now uh his ad his average exit velo and his top exit velo are still pretty good um his hard hit rate is still looking pretty good his launch angle which you know is going to explain if he like has really deserved to be hitting the ball into the ground as much proves that he has it's like almost negative right now so he's just not hitting the ball in the air and he hasn't had enough plate appearances in my opinion to like kind of lock him in and say that's what he's going to do all season I think he can turn it around I think that that club's been a little bit um sort of downtrodden since the slow start as well so I I expect to see different things from Josh Bell
1: I do too I think he's a great pick for this and it brings me some relief that you that you picked him because I have quite a few Josh Bell shares I think it's important to keep in mind he had that great spring. Not that we want to put a lot of stock into spring training, but he had, he was 18 for 47 with with six homers and 15 RBI, and it was like all right, Josh Bell just needed to escape Pittsburgh, get a fresh start here in Washington. They got him for a song, and then he was bitten by by COVID that impacted really like half of that team, and so I think he's still trying to find his foot and get his groove back from that situation, and I'm going to hope he begins to turn it around.
0: Yeah, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have as much confidence that he can hit the ball in the air more if it wasn't for that spring. He was doing it during spring. So it's like, and then he got hit with the, bu- with the bug, and then, you know, he's kind of suffering with the aftershocks of it still. But I don't expect it to last all season long. We've still got a lot of season left to play. So, Pete, why don't we move on to actually um, our two surprises? Kind of a positive note. Uh, we've been in the in the dumps. Uh, over these last four players because they haven't been quite doing what they were expected to do. But how about a couple of guys that have just kind of blown us out of the water and, like, you know, we think that have a chance to continue on with this really, really
1: good luck to start the season? Yeah, so my first one was Mark Cana um, of the Oakland Athletics. And I wish I stayed true to my <laughs> to my thoughts during draft season, where I, I was like, I'm not going to put a lot of stock into 2020. Guys like Gary Sanchez, Juan Moncada, like, I'm not going to put a lot of stock into it. But then come draft season like I put way too much stock into it. And so I missed out on players like Kana who in 2019 showed all these awesome signs. Like the the step forward that Kana showed in terms of plate discipline in 2019 was awesome. He started walking 13.5% of the time in 2019. That was good for the top 8% of baseball. And that part did continue into 2020, to be fair. I mean, it got even better. He was walking 15.2% of the time, but the rest of his stats kind of fell off. He he really wasn't that great. He had an expected batting average. Here I go with that stat again of 238. um, But that was reinforced by his actual average that year, which really wasn't that great. In 2020, he batted. I'm sorry. I should have that right in front of me. Not that we want to harp on average too much, but 246. So it looked like uh-oh, maybe it was just a blip in the radar. 2019 was a a fake breakout, but it was actually 2020 was a fake step backward, and it wasn't even that bad. And yet here he is tearing it up this season. He only has three homers to go with seven RBI, but I believe he's been leading off a lot for Oakland. So I wouldn't expect the RBI numbers to be that high anyway. And his OPS is 890. Um, those stats that that we want to see from from Cana, that kind of our expectations, like not chasing, walking a lot, having decent numbers across the board. Other than that, average exit velocity is exactly what we're getting. Um, he's a, he's a big reason why Oakland is on this awesome winning streak that they've been on in first place in the division. And so, particularly in, and I know we're just talking five by five, by the way, for our listeners. We're not talking points leagues. We're not talking um, on base leagues where Kana obviously has more value. But even in these formats, Kana's really valuable. And, and before I, I turn it over to you, his sprint speed is in the 78th percentile. He already has four stolen bases this year, and Oakland is clearly showing that they're aggressive. We're seeing it with Loreano as well. Four stolen bases in 92 plate appearances. He had four stolen bases in 243 plate appearances last season. So you can see he's on some kind of pace here So if he's going to be a 90 runs, 20 homer, 70 RBI and 10 to 15 stolen base player with a, a, a pretty good average because he doesn't strike out. Whoa, that's pretty awesome. So I'm pleasantly surprised and I actually expect it to continue.
0: Yeah, I do as well. And I think I don't know if you mentioned it or not. He's been leading off most games, right? Pretty much all of them.
1: Yeah. And that's where I think the stolen bases are coming from. And conversely, it's impacting the RBI. Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, yeah. So you're going to have to kind of like compromise a little bit, right? He's not going to necessarily be like um, as much of an RBI guy, but he wasn't ever a huge RBI guy in the first place. He never drafted Mark Kana being like, oh, I'm going to, lock in RBIs with Kana. So it's like, you know what I mean? Put him in the leadoff spot where he can beat that guy with runs maybe. And then he can also steal a few bags and he can, um, you know what I mean? We know that he can hit for some pop. So, and if his sprint speed is almost in the 80th percentile, then there really isn't any excuse to just let him kind of run, especially in that lineup that's kind of trying to figure things out right now. So like kind of figure out an identity. So maybe Mark Kana in the leadoff spot is really like, exactly what they need to kind of like set in that identity and, and show to people that they can still win games even though they don't have the team that they necessarily had like two or three years ago so i love the Kana pick i didn't know exactly know where to put him out of these three because he was like a name to me that i really wanted to mention but i'm glad that you decided to put him here So for my first guy, I've got Will Myers. He ranks 13th overall amongst hitters um, this season so far, and I don't really expect that number, I don't expect it to be as high maybe at the end of the year, but I don't think he's going to drop off of a cliff anytime soon. He's made some really, really um, evident adjustments with his swing. He's got the bat resting on his shoulder lower, which looks kind of odd, but then when you look at the path that his swing takes, it just makes for this beautifully straight and quick path to the ball. And it's been, it's been, um, it's been proving quite effective. I think so far this year, Um, let's just take a quick look at his numbers. Um, I know that this year for, in terms of metrics, at least this is the best K rate he's had since his rookie year and the best walk rate that he's had of his career. So he's already doing two huge adjustments there. He's absolutely murdering off speed and breaking pitches, which have been like what plagued him in the past the most. He's always been able to hit the fastball decently well, which is where like he'd ag- end up getting some average, but he was just striking out nonstop at the off speed and breaking pitches. Whereas this year, he's just been crushing them. Um, so the power metrics that like they don't really look super great um, in terms of like his hard hit or anything like that. But I think that he might be kind of doing the opposite of what a lot of hitters do, where he's. Not selling out for power, he's selling some of his power for more contact. And if that's the case, his bat has got enough power in it to hit balls over the, over the fence regardless. He's going to make enough good quality contact with the ball to hit the ball out of the yard. And if he hits close to 300 man with some speed and some power in that San Diego offense, he's just going to be a counting stats monster. And I think that he's somebody that could end up being like top 10 outfield at the end of the season at the lower end of it for sure but top 10 maybe
1: Yeah it's it's definitely an aggressive prediction but I'm not going to tell you that I don't like Will Myers I think it what sticks out is definitely how far down that average exit velocity is considering it was in like the 81st percentile last year and now it's in the 11th but that's only on 51 batted balls I think I think Myers is a simple case of like there was so much pressure on this kid when he got called up and then there was so much pressure on him when he got traded for you know their franchise ace and i think that was the james shield steal. makes that error in fenway park and the playoffs as a ray like i i think he had so much pressure on him with the prospect pedigree that he all of a sudden found himself with the chance to hit the reset button on san diego on a loaded lineup there's not a lot of pressure on him there's not a lot of pressure really on that team because you know they're they're so good everybody enjoys them so I look at him as like he's just in a comfortable spot with a lot of talent, and I kind of expect it to continue. I know that's not exactly hard-hitting analysis, but we've always expected Will Myers. We always knew Will Myers had talent, and now it's kind of low-key blossoming. So top 10, I, I think, is, is aggressive, but I'd be lying if I said he didn't have that kind of upside.
0: Yeah, I would agree that it probably is aggressive. I'd I'd feel safer if somebody told me top 20, obviously, but I think that if you told me that he finishes like 10th, Eleventh, ninth. I'm not gonna. I don't think. I don't think that's crazy so far with what we've seen. Um. So who is your next uh, candidate for uh, somebody that you think the success is going to continue?
1: So this is the player who you. I'm just gonna say you stole him from me because I have him in like every other league, and it doesn't even matter the format. In in Yahoo, um, I actually don't have him in NFBC and in my one OT league. I obviously wasn't able to get him because he was probably already rostered. But that is Jazz Chisholm who I'm not going to spend a lot of time on because if you listen to any fantasy baseball podcasts, like you've you've already heard enough about Jazz Chisholm, I wrote about him before the season saying that the Marlins should give him a chance. So I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back there that, you know, I'm not just jumping on the bandwagon here. I'm a firm believer in Jazz Chisholm. But the one thing that, that sticks out and, you know, like I said, everybody's heard all the numbers. We all know he's amazing. He's got speed. He's got power. But the one thing that should stick out to people is that 13% walk rate, because this is a guy who is gonna who strikes out a lot. So to see any kind of improvement in terms of plate discipline is significant. It's it's not something that we should be ignoring. You know, he's he's really he's not chasing as much as I think a lot of people thought he was going to. And I and, and he's taking a lot of walks. Obviously, getting on base more is gonna improve those those speed numbers and, and everything kind of plays into each other. But I think this really shows us how difficult it was to evaluate young players like Chisholm because of the lack of minor leagues last year and so I think we're, we might see some other players prospects like Chisholm who all of a sudden begin to blossom the season almost out of nowhere I mean Chisholm had a lot of pedigree he was traded for Zach Gallen. he's a you know he's a, he's a hot prospect he's a top 100 prospect but I don't think a lot of people expected this and that does include myself I obviously do not expect this superstar status but we didn't have the minors last year so all these guys at these alternate training sites, they were playing, they were improving, they were growing. And some of them I, we should expect took steps forward that we're not going to be able to identify because we don't have that data. And it's pretty clear that Jazz Chisholm is one of those players.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that, you know, with Chisholm, it's just it's just strong evidence that like what people are looking for nowadays are is different than what they were looking for. I feel like... Back in the day, they were looking for discipline. They were looking for people that really showed that they can, um, they can hold their end at the major league level um, through experience that they've had. Whereas now, it's it's very clear that the toolsy players, the ones that have the raw abilities to be a superstar, they're being given more opportunity to to go out there and actually like kind of connect the dots and, and add in like in-game experiences to sort of teach them the rest of it like the, the patience at the plate or um, or just sort of like kind of keeping a cool head um, they're giving kids like game experience now to do that which is which is really really fun to watch but it can also make for a lot of um, potential sort of you know cases where it's blowing up in team's faces Um, with Chisholm. It's, it's proven to be a a successful one so far. Um, But I think that, you know, like when you're evaluating prospects for fantasy anyways, like there's no, there's no, denying that like the toolsy guys are the ones that you want to go for not the guys that necessarily like have been in the minors for a while and they've hit that like 265 with like 12 homers for like three years in the minors and then they finally get the call like you really want to get your hands on the guys that just like have the raw abilities and they just might be able to put it together because those are the guys that overnight go into superstars
1: yeah agreed and if you're something else kind of a footnote anecdotal to get excited about jazz chisholm is yeah, all his home runs have gone to right field, which suggests he's he, he's maybe just a pull hitter. But of his 17 hits so far this season, at it looks like six of them, nope, seven of them have gone to the opposite field. So he's really seeing the ball well, um, and I, I just expect I don't. He's going to take steps backwards. Every every player that strikes out 30 percent of the time is is going to go through some pretty serious slumps. But I guess what I'm telling you by bringing him up, because every podcast is talking about Jazz Chisholm, is when he goes through that slump, do not give up on this player.
0: Yeah, no, def- I'm definitely not in our league. Um, I mean, I look back and I think I see a lot of the same things that I saw when Acuna was first coming up. I'm not going to try to say that Chisholm will reach Acuna level the way that Acuna did as quickly maybe, but like I just see a lot of similarities there. Um, so my other guy in terms of who I think success will continue to translate for is Marcus Semien. And it might be a little bit weird because Semyon's only hitting um, 213 right now, but he is 26th overall amongst hitters on the player raider. And um, I think that he's somebody that could end up being like a surprise top 50 kind of output kind of dude in terms of overall, just um, batters anyways, not like overall top 50 players with pitchers included. But um, he's somebody who's, believe it or not, seems to have sold out for a little bit more power this year. He's already hit five home runs in 80 at-bats. Um, which would definitely put him on one of the quicker paces that he's been on so far in his career. And his X batting average is pretty bad at 195. So it seems like he's kind of selling out for some of that pop. Um, But there's a lot of things to get excited about. So his whiff rate is kind of middle of the middle of the road. His chase rate isn't too bad. Um, So he's not necessarily going out there like swinging at a ton of breaking balls and missing them entirely. But he is he is kind of Adding a little bit more swing and miss to his game than you'd like to see, but the two pitches that he's been clobbering the most so far this season are the four-seamer and the sinker, which he's going to see a lot of because he hits in a stacked Toronto lineup, and especially when Springer comes back, pitchers are going to be looking to get Marcus Semien out because they're going to be worried about Bichette, they're going to be worried about Guerrero, they're going to be worried about Springer all around him. So. Semyon, I believe out of anybody is going to see the most fastballs and the most sinkers in that line in the top of that lineup and if he does he's just been straight murdering them so far this season and he has not been missing them he's been missing the off-speed and break and stuff quite a bit which has resulted in a low average but I think that you know, with more and more fastball seen as Springer comes back and as guys um, become more and more aware that Guerrero and Bichette are legitimate threats, um, I think that Semyon's going to put together some really, really great counting stats in that lineup. And um, I think the average is going to end up bouncing back a little bit more, too.
1: Yeah, you, you made the exact point that I wanted to make. I talked about this on the, the Keeper Cup podcast weeks ago that was his ability to hit the fastball. And when we look at his 2019 breakout where he finished like third in MVP voting. That was like one of the most low-key monster years from a player. Um, and Simeon tore it up that season. He hit 302 off fastballs that year, and 26 of his 33 homers came off the four-seamer. And you're right if he's batting leadoff or second in that lineup. And I think it should be second because I think George Springer is obviously one of the best leadoff hitters in baseball. Regardless, we can assume he's going to be in that that – the top two, right? Because Kevin Biggio has has not been great either this year, and he's not hitting for power like Simeon seems to be. So if he's in that spot, he's going to see a lot of fastballs. He's going to tear it up. And the other thing to get excited about Simeon, if you're if you're worried about the batting average, he's only hit fourteen percent. Fourteen percent of his batted balls have been line drive so far. That is that that's absurdly low including for him. I mean, he's a career 26% line drive hitter, which is basically the MLB average. So that's, that is not going to continue. It has resulted in, in more fly balls as opposed to ground balls. And with a player with his sprint speed really, I mean, it doesn't really matter your speed if you're hitting a fly ball, but you, if you saw more ground balls, you could assume his average would be higher because instead of, less line drives has resulted in more fly balls that kind of explains why the average is so low he's hit 40 percent fly balls so far which uh, no matter how fast you are how good of a hitter you are if you're hitting 40 percent fly balls you are not going to hit for that high of an average uh so i think i think that's just what simeon has been bit by and one last thing about the fastballs they have to throw him fastballs because his plate discipline is so good i mean it's a guy who's posted at least a 10 percent walker each of the last three seasons he's he's not going to swing at your nonsense, so you got to meet him in the zone, and if you don't want to face Vlad or Bo or Teoscar with men on base, you have to pitch to him. I think that's an excellent point.
0: Definitely, um, and if you don't mind, Pete, I'm actually kind of going to go back to back here into our next category, which is our guys that are overperforming, we believe, on the player raider and that you might want to trade right now or that we expect to to see some negative regression. If you don't mind, I'm just going to jump right into Nate Lowe, um, only because he's somebody that's got like a lot of things that like Semyon's not doing or that that they're doing similarly I guess um so Nate Lowe right now is just tearing the cover off the ball um he's he's had five home runs so far 20 hits 17 RBIs um and he's been just sort of like this crazy power output dude um in the middle of a Rangers lineup where they didn't expect to have really anybody there um besides Gallo so so he's been proving this year that he um is somebody that They should be very happy that they acquired from tampa bay um his max exit velocity is in the 94th percentile um his barrel rate is in the 84th percentile so he's just like making really quality contact and really hard contact um he's only hitting 256 or he is hitting 256 right now i guess i shouldn't say only because i'd expect that number to drop quite a bit um I don't think that he's going to be a two fifty six hitter um, at the end of the season, and it mainly has to do with how many times he's seen the fastball and how well he hits the fastball. Um, because his chase rate has been very, has been um, very good. Like he hasn't chased at a lot of pitches outside of the zone yet. Um, and so the result of that is pitchers are throwing him more fastballs to try to get more strikes. And he, he does hit the fastball. Well, the, the issue is that he does not hit the breaking ball well, and he doesn't even see the breaking ball that well. So, so far he's just had a, in my opinion, a lot of good luck with maybe not chasing at, you know, fastballs out of the zone and not getting a lot of breaking balls to miss because the breaking balls that he has seen so far this season have left him at a K percent, like in every single breaking ball, he strikes out at a 33% rate or worse. Um, with the fastballs, he strikes out at a much better, a much less rate, so that's better for him. Um, but I think that as he sees more and more breaking balls, he's not going to have as many opportunities to to lay off of them because they're going to be more situations where there's pressure on him in games, and he's going to want to get a hit. And if he can't really hit the the breaking balls that he's seeing and he he sees them more often i think that he's going to be chasing more often i don't think that that chase rate is real i think that it's going to end up you know suffering through me- mega negative regression very soon um so i he's somebody that i think that will hit for a lot of power but like i don't think that he's a better co- uh, contact hitter than gallo I think that they're probably very similar at the end of the day, and he probably in my opinion has less power than Gallo, like game power anyways. Maybe the raw power, they're kinda even. But like I just I think that he's sort of like going to be a worse version than Gallo when people might be thinking that he's a better version.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I would definitely, definitely prefer Gallo, despite the slow start over Nate Lowe. My concern with Nate Lowe is it's it's actually similar to if you remember Brandon Lau's breakout a few years ago, where Lau had these amazing numbers, but it was kind of misleading because he could not hit lefties. He couldn't. Nate Lowe is in the same situation. He's got a 1063 OPS against righties, which is fantastic. Against lefties, he's got a 33% strikeout rate and a 581 OPS. He can't hit lefties. Now, maybe that changes. Uh, I, you know, that's, that's obviously a possibility. He's still just a rookie. He's getting his feet under him. And the good news for him, I guess, is that the Rangers don't actually have a whole lot of options to replace him at first base against lefties. And it would be the strong side of a platoon if he was in a platoon. Obviously, as the lefty, he'd face righties. The majority of pitchers are righties. But if you're looking at this guy as some kind of like cornerstone or something like that, especially in weekly leagues, like I'd look, is he facing lefties? Because if he is, I'd almost rather just not have him in my lineup at all because you're probably getting an offer. Um, at least with very little power, if he is facing a left-handed pitcher. He has really struggled against them.
0: Yeah. Um, So if you end up getting a platoon player out of it, um, you know, that's not exactly what you're going to be looking for. I would not recommend trading for him. I would maybe recommend trying to find somebody that was looking to buy him. Um, So, Pete, how about you? Who's somebody that you think um, the success so far is kind of a mirage?
1: Uh, Sure. I think Tyler Naquin. Um, Like. The Sackcast page is incredible, which is great. I mean, it's it's going to be incredible when it's April twenty fifth and you've hit six home runs with eighteen RBI and you're slugging five eighty nine or whatever. I mean, he's been. If you had him on your roster to this point, great job. But I just dropped him yesterday actually because I I saw that Luis Patino was going to make his debut today, so I I wanted to to grab a pitcher and that's in a sixteen team league. You may think, whoa, it's aggressive to drop in a sixteen team league. I mean, I I just picked him up off free agency the day before. So I I don't think there's a lot of people believing in Tyler Naquin. So I I can be quick. This really isn't a shocking pick. 30 years old, a very crowded outfield. Like we said, Akiyama could be coming back soon. And obviously, if Naquin's batting like this, they're not going to bench him for for Shogo Akiyama. But I, I just don't believe in it. I don't know why people are throwing him fastballs. He crushes fastballs. Everything looks great from the exit velocity to the max exit velocity. I'm just simply... Not a believer. I'm going on the record that I think he is a, a pretty strong power hitter. I think if he continues, if he bats leadoff for them most days, and he is a lefty, then yeah, he actually could have a pretty impressive fantasy season. But I do think this is a mirage.
0: Yeah, I think that we both have a lot of issue with guys that we feel like are getting a lot of playtime right now due to X, Y, or Z reasons, and we expect that to change. You know what I mean? Naquin would still be what the third maybe the fourth best option in terms of just fantasy outfielders on that team i would still prefer castellanos i would still prefer winker um even though winker doesn't even play every day um and then you know i guess like if you told me that shogo akiyama and naquin were going to get equal playing time i don't know does that really entice you to want to keep naquin not really at all
1: well, you I mean, their center fielder is Nick Senzel. And there you so, go, they have Senzel too. I think I'd even prefer Senzel to
0: Naquin over a full season. So, you know, to say that you drop the fourth best fantasy outfielder for the Reds, big deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? But
1: yeah, I, I would
0: agree. I think that we're going to see some uh, negative regression there. And then for my last player, I went with a Tampa Bay Ray, which is why I do feel like, you know, I went with them as somebody that i would maybe sell because the rays like to diff- play different dudes plug and play depending on the matchup um and i just think in general like i try to avoid Rays hitters even like the big names like meadows and a arena because it's like they're not impervious to them just getting benched randomly um for two games out of six during a week um and that's going to really kill you in a lot of league formats so Joey Wendell is the name that I that I'm bringing up here. He's 26th amongst hitters, um, which should pretty much already tell you the story. That's not where he's going to end up at the end of the year. He is triple position eligible eligible. So I don't necessarily think you should go drop him um, if you can't find a trade um, out there. But I do think that you might be able to exploit somebody right now um, looking at that triple eligibility and, um, you know, sort of seeing a lot of Like statistical good signs. So he's already hit three homers so far this year. He's betting 343 over 67 at bats, 71 plate appearances. And that's pretty good. Um, you know, he's had 23 hits, scored 16 times, and had 15 RBIs even to go with it. Um, but you look at a lot of the underlying numbers, and it just it brings up a lot of cause for concern. He is walking at a 1.4% rate right now. He just does not know how to get on base if it's not a hit. Um, his K rate is at 20%, which is the highest that it's been in a while. Um, not by like a ton, but you know, a decent amount. And a 20% K rate, like we've been talking about, is not bad in terms. In terms of today's standard but if you're only walking one percent of the time one and a half percent of the time it's that that does tend to look a little uglier than somebody that's walking 10 percent of the time just because you know you can guarantee that that guy's going to get on base a little bit more um Wendell is somebody that's just had a lot of good luck in my opinion so far his ex batting average is more like in tune with who he is at 277 that is up from the last couple of years but you know If you average out 277 and 343, he doesn't look like a superstar, really. He just kind of looks for somebody that hits for really good contact, but maybe doesn't have the power output and definitely doesn't have a lot of speed. His sprint speed is in the 58th percentile, so I don't see him stealing a ton of bags this year. Um, And he's probably going to hit lower in that lineup more times than he hits higher. So if there's not really a lot of quality bats around him, I don't necessarily see the... um, the counting stats output continuing on the pace that it's been at. So he's somebody that I'd be looking to maybe try to acquire somebody for. I mean, here's the thing. You know, you brought up Kevin Biggio. If somebody offered you Kevin Biggio for Joey Wendell, what are you doing?
1: I definitely take Biggio. I'm not in on either player, but that wouldn't even be close for me.
0: I think that somebody would potentially make that deal right now. Don't you think?
1: Maybe. I don't know how many people are out there believing in what Joey Wendell's done so far, right? It's it's kind of a similar pick to Naquin, where it's like a guy over 30 who is having a great 25 days.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it has less to do with believing in Wendell and more to do with believing that um, Biggio was not necessarily deserving as high as of high of a pick as you took him at. You know what I mean? And kind of oh,
1: know, that I agree with. A a like thousand playing
0: percent. the mental gymnastics in your head about like, well, who could potentially return more on investment out of the two of them? You know what I mean? And I could see a lot of people leaning towards Wendell, and I, I think it'd be too early to make that call just yet. So I would advise against it. Um, how about you, P? Who's your last player up for? Um, somebody that you think is maybe going to um kind of drop in terms of the success we've seen so far
1: sure yeah uh real quick before i dive into that i the wendell success is particularly annoying because of Wander franco because Wander franco is not is probably not going to displace willie adamas because they're invested in him he's still just 25 years old they're they're shortstop like I, i don't expect Adamas to move. It's the 31 year old Wendell that's the easy guy to say, Hey, beat it and, and put Franco at third base. So his success is kind of delaying that. But it's also kind of a concern if you're a Wendell owner because the second that guy gets called up, see you later, Joey Wendell. Um, all of a sudden that infield is, is Adamus, Brennan Lowe, or Brennan Lau, sorry, um, at first base, Yandi Diaz, who they like. And then obviously at third base would be Wander Franco. So anyway, um, my last pick for overperformers is Garrett Hampson, which is I think it's a debatable pick I think a lot of it people have been waiting for the Garrett Hampson breakout it looks like we could be amidst it right now he's still only 26 years old and he still plays in cores so all of that is obviously very exciting but you you look at his expected statistics they're not that great he does not have very good plate discipline the Rockies have a lot of like mix and mash options so for a guy who strikes out over 25% of the time you can expect there's going to be some serious slumps and during those slumps he's going to find himself on the bench I'd like to see him hit more ground balls with that sprint speed because I think that's that's an advantage for him at the same time when he's at home at Coors the fact that he has a 34% fly ball rate this year is actually pretty awesome because he doesn't have a lot of power so if he can just get the ball in the air and let it carry in that that Denver air then sure, he could post certainly more home runs than his his advanced statistics would suggest he should. At the same time, I'm just not that much of a believer at this point. I'm not seeing enough of a difference in his batted ball profile, in his expected statistics, in his average exit velocity, which is just 85%. His max is only 105, which is consistent really with the rest of his career. Not seeing enough of a change to believe in the breakout, quote unquote, breakout that we're seeing. So I, I'd, I'd want to sell high. And I think of of these three names so far, or, or four names so far between Naquin and, and Joey Wendell, Hampson's someone you could actually get something for. I don't think you're going to dupe anybody with Naquin. I don't think you're going to dupe anybody with Joey Wendell. But Garrett Hampson, a young 26-year-old Rockies player, yeah, I think you could get something, especially because of the stolen bases. And I'd gladly move on from him for something of, of quality.
0: Yeah, I think that... Um, all you, all the points you brought up are fair. Um, you know, you got to kind of look into that lineup and see like, who's going to play when, um, you know, you have Tapia, who's a great left-handed bat, um, against righties. He's going to be taking a lot of at-bats, um, versus righties in terms of that outfield. So, and that outfield spot, like would be Hampson's if Tapia wasn't in the lineup. And then you look at second base position and they've got a few guys that can play there. They've got, uh, McMahon and then they've got Brendan Rogers, uh, coming back at some point this season who I think that they like quite a bit. Um, and then I do think that they, they still like Fuentes quite a bit um, to plug in at first or third every once in a while. Maybe not all the time, maybe not as much as he had been at the beginning of the season. Um, he's really not shown anything good except for his defensive capabilities. But when you're in course Field, defense tends to end up being an important factor, especially at the hot corner. So you know, he might end up getting some of those at-bats, especially against the righties, because Hampson, is a right-handed batter himself. And he, he typically does way better against lefties than he does um, versus righties. So when Brandon Rogers comes back, um, I think that that's just one more name to add into the mix of people that could potentially take at-bats away from Hampson. And um, if Hampson ends up regressing even slightly, I think that he becomes more of a platoon player that he had been um, rather than all of a sudden these last two weeks, he's been kind of a, a mainstead everyday guy. So um, I would watch the playtime there. That's That's going to be key.
1: I think it's a great point about Brennan Rodgers.
0: Yeah, um, and I think with that, Pete, has that been everybody? I think that I'm covered for the most part.
1: That crosses every name off my list. Yeah,
0: this well, this was a fun little experiment. Um, I think that we're going to be right on some guys, and I think we're going to be wrong on other guys, and that would be
1: my hot take for this episode. <laughs> um, but So it's going to be like every other episode yeah, and fantasy season ever. Yeah, All right. yeah
0: exactly. But <laughs> I, I think that this was a worthwhile exercise, and I think that our listeners are going to take one thing away from this, which is that I'm a way better host than you. But other than that,
1: that is true that is uh well see i've hosted 28 episodes up until this point so you have another 27 to go so we'll see at the end of that once the sample size i also have another
0: like 27 championships to go before i ever catch your record in world series of fantasy baseball our main league so i've got a lot of catching up to do in general so i'm not gonna you know i'm gonna humbly brag about this uh this hosting job that i did today
1: Well done. And if I had 27 championships, I would be a lot older than I am right now. Unfortunately, (laughs) only in year 15, you have plenty of time to catch
0: Well, I feel like you've been playing since, what, age two? And you've been winning every year. So it's like, yeah, that would put you on pace for about 27. But anyways, regardless, we are so glad that you chose to listen to us today. All of you seven people out there that might be even pushing it. But um, yeah, just thanks for listening every week. We really appreciate it. This was really fun for me. Uh, Pete, I hope you had a good time as well. A, I did. Absolutely. Got a big thumbs up on the video there. You didn't, you didn't see, but, uh, but yeah, so, so we're thrilled to be presenting quality material to you every week and we are going to be back next week with another one, another banger, another one. So from us at Pitch Count Podcast, this is Chris and Pete saying later, later.